Let's share our points of view. I'm going to add uh, Mr. Mel Brooks. Sound, oh, second. my God. Okay. All right. Mel, can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. You're on with Susanna Mars. Hi, Mel. Hello, Susanna. Hello, Mel. How are you today? Are you? Oh, my gracious. When did you start this Archlandia podcast? I started it about five years ago. And why did you start it? I really like and, talking uh, to artists. Oh, great. Yeah. And are you busy? I mean, uh, you know. You know, it's does your podcast cover a lot? Yeah, it does. I mean, I do I do about two a month and but usually mm-hmm. I'm doing a show. I'm a resident artist at a company here in Portland and I work all over the country and um you know, now of course in quarantine there's just not a lot going on. I've lost a lot of work. I mean it's really a lot of fun to get a chance to talk to people for the podcast. Of course, of course. I'm, I'm glad you got it. It'll keep you busy while we, we go through this. I know. I, I just listened to your podcast with Alan Alda. Oh, yeah. And Carl. I, it, it's his podcast. And he uh, he went to uh, Carl Reiner's house in uh, Beverly Hills. And I was there. And he uh, he talked to us for about 20 minutes. It was nice. Oh, it's just so fabulous. I, I love, love hearing it. Your voice just, I love hearing your voice. It just warms my heart. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. It, uh, it, uh, it's scratchy. It's a scratchy voice. It's not, a, it's not an easy voice to listen to. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it. Ever since I heard you be a little baby and free to be you and me, I like your scratchy voice. Oh. You know, Alan, you know, very strangely, Alan Alda directed me and Marlo Thomas. And that sketch, you know, how to be uh, you and me, free I, to be you and me. I mean, it was an amazing. It really being, was. Being this, you know. Yeah, and people listen to it all, all the time now. Isn't it funny? Some good things never go away. Good things never go away. No. Like your daddy's performance and the producers. Oh. Good things never go away. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to do a regular intro now just because I just, we started talking and I, okay. I've just so darn thrilled. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I am talking to one of the greatest directors, writers, composers, actors, and entertainers of all time, Mel Brooks. He is (laughs) one of a kind. He is one of the rare few who has an EGOT, the show business quadruple crown, winning an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. He is a national treasure, and my dad, Kenneth Mars, appeared in Mel's first film, The Producers, as Franz Liebkin, and was also Inspector Kemp in Young Frankenstein, both of which have been huge hits as musicals on Broadway and on the West End. Hi, Mel. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi, Susanna. <laughs> so happy to, uh, to be on your podcast and, uh. and answer your queries and, your, and, give, and tell you some interesting, uh, uh, you know, little uh, facts and and trivia that, uh, that that you didn't know, you know. 
so darn To begin sweet. with, yes. did you know that Dustin Hoffman was originally slated to be Franz Liebkind and the producers in the movie? You know, it's interesting because I read that you wanted Dad to play Roger DeBreeze. Uh, never. Never? Never. There you have it. I said, I think I once said to your father, listen, you could play anything. And uh, maybe if, if I'm having trouble, you could play both parts. Maybe, maybe you know. <laughs> I, I may have mentioned it to the father, but I don't think I was serious. Oh, wow. I was just being complimentary because he was so incredibly versatile, oh. really, and so talented. How'd you meet him? Uh, I, Kenny? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. An agent, after, listen, Dustin Hopton was all set. Mm-hmm to play Franz Liebkin in the movie. As a matter of fact, we, he was signed by my Alan, Alan Schwartz, my, my lawyer. We, we signed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called. He called me from... He said, Hello, Mel. This is, it's, it's Dusty. I'm in Hollywood. I said, What are you doing there? He said, I'm auditioning to play Benjamin. And the graduate... I knew... I, knew the, I said, Benjamin... You mean in the graduate? He said, yeah. I said, and you're auditioning opposite my wife? <laughs> and, he, you know, so, and I said to him, well, don't worry. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of losing you as, as Franz Liebkin because, uh, because, I mean, when they see you, I mean, you're really not that tall and handsome. I don't think, you know, I don't think you're going to get the part, but. I'm not worried about losing you. And then he called me uh, a couple of days later and said, I'm sorry, Mel, you're losing me. They want me. And I said, well, wow, congratulations. I can't believe it. You know, I said, you know, and don't, uh, and there's, there's, there's a bedroom scene with my wife. I said, you be careful, you know. <laughs> and, and Dustin's been a friend, you know, oh. ever since. But then I, then I, was, I was bereft, and I, was, I didn't have a Franz Liebkin. And uh, I said, where am I going to find this crazy German? I mean, where, I mean, I, and then, I mean, I saw, uh, they brought me a lot of Franz Liebkins and I kept saying, no, 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 no. And then, I, I, honestly, I don't know what agency, but there was an agent that brought me Kenny Mars. Hmm. And after Kenny started reading, and I didn't let him finish. I didn't let him finish auditioning. I said, get him a German helmet. <laughs> That's Franz Liebkin. <laughs> I really, I got to tell you, it was halfway mm. through his audition mm. to play it that I knew that I would, uh, I'd call what we call in show business a great bounce. Mm. You, get, you get a bitter disappointment, and then you take a great bounce by replacing that disappointment with somebody even better than you had in mind to begin with. Mm. And mm. that's what happened. That was one of the great bounces I've had in show business was uh, losing Dustin and, and, and gaining Kenny Mars. Mm. Rewatching the movie, I was just cracking up because I remember my dad talking about uh, the discussion about how much poop would be on his helmet. <laughs> right, pigeon poop, right? <laughs> and yeah. Then- yeah. 
and that he said he that was incredibly detailed. Yeah, Teddy was detailed, really, to the pigeon poop on his helmet. Yeah, and how he dressed in his leather coat and everything. I mean, he was so detailed and so, you know, you you get you know. He was totally underpaid. He got more than your money's worth when you hired Kenny Mars. You really got mm. a bonanza of talent. One of the most talented guys without, you know, blowing smoke mm. because you're his daughter. But one of the most talented guys I ever worked with. Yeah. He, I, his, his timing. Mm. His breathing. I mean, he really, he really got the most out of the, out of the character. It was so much fun to rewatch the movies and to see the scenes with Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel and Dad. They're just so beautiful, and it and it reminded me because I know you're also a drummer, and you Buddy Rich taught you how to play the drums, right? And you've got exactly. this incredible rhythm, and it just everyone is just the rhythm is Im- impeccable. Oh, good for you because rhythm is is critical for comedy timing. And uh, there was a Greek friend of Anne, a Greek guy, who was with the actor studio. As a matter of fact, he was in the producers. Hmm. He played the the roommate, Carmen Gia, you know, to the gay director. And uh, his name was Andreas Voutsinas. You can't get more Greek than Andreas Voutsinas. And he he was Carmen Gia, and he was very funny really delicious. Mm-hmm. And he used to say, uh, when we, you know, I'd be looking for talent or, or listening to somebody, he'd say, oh, you got it or you ain't. <laughs> it wasn't really, <laughs> it wasn't great English, but it was so profound. You know, uh, it's so true that either, <clears throat> either you, you've got it or you don't, you know. And, and uh, he was right, you know. And, you know, people like Kenny certainly had it, you know. As a matter of fact, everybody in that movie was pretty damn good. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, know, you, you couldn't do better than than Zero for Max Bialystok. Uh, Gene Wilder was an incredible discovery mm. for Leo Bloom. And, uh, and Kenny was just amazing as Franz Liebkin. Carmen Gia, played by Andreas, was wonderful. Dick Sean. I mean, almost everybody in in, in the movie was really, you know, was was made to order for the part. Mm -hmm. Very, I think, as a director, when people ask me, you know, what's your secret, you know, what makes good direction, how do you direct a movie, I would tell them what I'm telling you now. Casting is half of directing. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's better... If you cast it per- perfectly, it's better not to direct it, to get out of the way and let the actors who know what they're doing just do it. Mm. Don't give them any instructions. But, so, but you've got to get lucky and, and find the right cast. If you get the right cast, and most of the movies that I've done, I've gotten very, very good people to, to play in them. But I would say that my first movie which uh, got me an Academy Award for screenplay, mm-hmm. was due to the players. I was so lucky to cast it, you know, impeccably mm. with the right, incredibly talented cast that I had in that movie. Mm. 
I was watching an interview and watching, I know, I remember my dad telling me and also being on set with him on Young, Young Frankenstein and the laughter and how much fun you guys were having. And then I think it was Cloris Leachman who said, you know, everyone says, oh, you guys were having so much fun and you just expect that she's going to say, but it was hard work. And she's like, and we were. And I remember the laughter and just trying to stifle, you know, how did you manage to not crack up? And I think there was another interview I saw where you had said that dad did something so hilarious that you and the cameraman both fell over. Yeah, we had, you know, uh, uh, Kenny was dangerous. (laughs) I said when he was going to do his scenes, especially in the producers at the beginning, I, I had no idea how really funny how hilarious he was going to be so i would say action and then we'd see him on the roof of the tenement with the pigeons and he started talking and halfway to his first speech with with gene wilder i just broke up and the cameraman broke up and we were just got hysterical <laughs> and finally i had a do it with a handkerchief in my mouth because and, and Kenny was responsible for my buying a hundred handkerchiefs for everybody in the crew. So I said, when Kenny comes on, I said to everybody in the crew, there was, I don't know, there was, you know, 25 people or whatever around, you know, shooting it. I'd say, when Kenny Mars comes on with that German helmet, stick these, this handkerchief in your mouth. <laughs> I don't want to hear, you know. And he was responsible. He cost me a fortune in handkerchiefs because uh, he, he, it was irresistible. He, you could not not laugh. Yeah. There was no way you could not not laugh huh. when Kenny was performing. Did so, he really uh, wear his you know, costume it, all the time? Like- well, one time, I tell you, I, we went to lunch and, and Kenny and I, wanted to talk overseas, so I said, come on, have lunch with me. We went to a diner, and and I didn't even think, and Kenny didn't think, that he was wearing, I don't know, he was wearing a German helmet with a Nazi armband, you know. <laughs> and we went into this diner, and everybody was talking, and it was mingling, and then suddenly everything fell silent. We looked around, and we said, Let's get, you know, we didn't know what was happening. And then... It's like the guy running the diner said to Kenny, would you mind taking that armband off? You know? <laughs> I didn't realize it, so, I said, so he took his helmet and his armband off and his, and his big leather coat. We, we were able to sit, sit in a booth and have uh. lunch. But, I mean, you don't even think. I mean, he was, it was just, that costume was like his skin. It was like, his, you know, he was so Franz Liebkin, you know. Yeah. Sometimes he talked to me with the German accent. I said, Kenny, we're not on camera now. You can talk to me like you, you know, <laughs> like yourself, like an American. <laughs> yeah, I remember him he telling me. He was so me. in that. He was so in it. Oh. He wore his long underwear like for three days in bed so that he could have the proper yeah. smell. Yeah, incredible. He told that. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's true, huh? Yep. And wow. when I was, when you guys were making Young Frankenstein, I was on set quite a bit, and I made friends with Gino Cantamessa, your, your sound mixer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, the sound 
very talented guy. Yeah, he was fabulous. And in fact, I remember he was nominated for an Academy Award that yes. year also. And uh, I used to sit yeah. next to him at the mixing table, and he would send me on little errands, like to steal stuff from people. Yeah. And he'd say, oh, great. take I the Boom that. Ops that's magazine and take it over here and dump so-and-so's coffee out. And that's what kept me occupied so I didn't bug my dad while he was working. Oh, how great. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you were part and parcel of Young Frankenstein. Yeah, well, you, you were so wonderful to watch work. I mean, I was a kid. And just to be right off the bat when I met you, you said, call me Uncle Mel and made me feel welcome and that, you know, uh, the family that you put together throughout your career. I know, I always career. wanted a happy set. You know, I never was a a tough and strict director. I heard that Otto Preminger and some, some of Michael Curtis, they were tough guys on the set. You know, they had to get a movie done, and, mm-hmm. and they had a lot of people. And they had to be, and they were kind of German and strict, <laughs> and I guess it's actually Hungarian, which is almost German. And... Uh, <laughs> They always had a very, I don't know, the, the, the dozen movies or so that I directed, always had a, tried to have a, a light, you know, agreeable and happy, can, you know, people around that, that enjoyed what they were doing and really want, wanted, couldn't wait to come to, to work to, to enjoy what was happening on the set. You know, it was important. Oh, it was it was absolutely fabulous and just super, super joyful. And I remember even in the prep leading up to Young Frankenstein meeting William Tuttle, Academy Award winning makeup artist, and how did you invent the zipper neck and the monocle on the eye patch? I came up with the monocle on the eye patch mm-hmm. that I, I remember. I was saying, wouldn't it be the Germans always wore a monocle, especially in, in uh Preminger's films, mm-hmm. Otto Lubitsch. They like Germans and monocles kind of went together. <laughs> so I said, what if we put a monocle over the eye patch and maybe somebody would notice it and we'd get a laugh, you know. I, love I, that. I came up with that. That was genius. But zipper neck, I think that was Gene Wilder. We wrote the script together. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it's 1934, they had the zipper, and I mean, I don't think they they would have just a stitched neck. They might have a zipper. I said, so I think I'd have to give credit. I don't think I came up with it. I think it was Wilder. I think it was Gene Wilder came up with the zipper neck. Mm. And uh, and then it would just fit Peter Boyle like a, a glove, you know. Yeah. Peter Boyle was a, another great guy. I mean, look all the easygoing very talented people. Mm-hmm. The monster was great. And you know what was a, 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 in the producers? What was a great, great surprise? Mm. Uh, it seems that on weekends, Gene Wilder played tennis at Gene Hackman's house. And they were buddies, huh. friends. The two Genes, Gene Hackman, Gene Wilder. And of course, when Gene Hackman asked uh, Gene Wilder, this is the story I got from Gene Wilder, Hackman said, "What are you? What were you working on? What are you doing?" He said, and he told them all about writing with me, writing the script of Young Frankenstein. You know, which was his idea to begin with. Was with Gene Wilder's? We were we were making uh, Blazing Saddles, and mm. we broke for lunch, and was 
crouched in a corner on the set. He wasn't going in. I said, come on, Gene, it's time to have lunch. He said, let me finish this. So I looked over his shoulder. He was scratched down on the ground with his knees writing uh, with a, uh, uh, on a, a yellow legal pad uh, against his knees. And I saw him print on the top of it, Young Frankenstein. I said, what the hell is that? What is that? He said, well, I have an idea that Frankenstein's uh, grandson from the original Frankenstein would want nothing to do, who's a pure scientist, want nothing to do with this make-believe nonsense about, about you know, taking dead tissue and suddenly it came to life and became a monster. And he said, and I thought that he would want to, not even want to be called Frankenstein, he would want to, he was telling me this, he would probably want to be called Frankenstein, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, Jesus, that's, that's really funny. And I said to him, and of course he goes there to, you know, to settle the will or something because he's in the air. I said, and then it's in his blood. He said, right. And he's got to make a monster. I said, okay. I said, do you need any help? He said, all I can get. <laughs> he said, would you write this with me and direct the movie? I said, absolutely. And that was, it all came from Gene Wilder. Wow. And uh, we wrote it together and, and he came up with uh, with the idea and, uh, and we developed these characters together. Mm. It was just, it was made in heaven. It was just uh, such a joy. I, I remember when my dad and I would walk around town, you know, sometimes people would shout out lines from movies that he'd been in to him, and I'm sure the same thing happens to you all the time. And I, what is it like to have written so much dialogue that is in the world today and people it's a part of our our culture of world culture the words that you and gene and uh so many things that you've written uh, it's well it's great when it happens it doesn't happen all the time you know it just i mean from your point of view it probably happens a lot more than it really happens but mm. it's nice it's really nice today i got from alphabetty olsen o-l-s-e-n 30 40 years ago when i had the idea Bialish Dr. Bloom and this idea called uh, Springtime for Hitler, which later became the movie, The Producers. Mm-hmm. She uh, lived on my block in, in New York, and I knew her, and, and I knew that she was smart, and she became my secretary, and, and uh, she helped me actually write the script. And she sent, you know, we, we've been friends since, since then, you can count the years. Mm. Uh, and uh, she sent me today, uh, some stage manager somewhere wrote her and was quoting from Blazing Saddles, mm. you know. And the quote was, these are people of the land, simple country folk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, you know, just knew something, I forget what, you know what I wrote, of the, 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 the common clay of the New West, you know, morons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so she got that. And it's funny that you should mention it. You know, stuff that you write comes back. Mm-hmm. But she said somebody said, "Tell Mel that this is this is going around." You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. from all the uh, you know the government. Alpha Betty so Olson. Nice. It was nice. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of common clay in the New West. You know, morons. I mean. Sometimes I forget what I wrote, and then it comes back. 
as and print or something, and I say, oh, God, did I write that? Wow. That was good, you know. I'm proud of myself. What do you think the 2,000-year-old man would make of this quarantine? Oh, he'd have a lot to say. But, you know, I can't tell you that because without Carl Reiner, I don't do him. Yeah. Carl has always got to be, you know. Oh, God. I I, I just... miss him. I don't get to see him. I'm not a lot of, you know, we're, we're, we're all hunkered down here in our own little bunkers, you know. Are you watching travel. Jeopardy together on Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, yeah, we're... Uh, we're on the phone a lot, and uh, Ben Mankiewicz, who uh, is a friend of mine, mm-hmm. often does a little podcast or something, and he gets both of us, you know, involved mm-hmm. in singing World War Two songs or something, you know. Mm. So Carl is always in my life every day, and you know, but it has to be, uh, unfortunately, from 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 afar. Yeah, um, I just encourage everybody to look. Up all the films, the two thousand year old man, free to be you and me, get smart, young Frankenstein, the producers, blazing saddles. You can watch Mel on Mad About You, and I mean, there is so much wonderful stuff to watch. And I also know that you recently curated a box set of Anne Bancroft, your wife's beautiful films. Oh yeah, films. I, you found out about that. Yeah. yeah, that is so great. I've also been back to CBS Mon- Sunday morning. It sold like, really, really sold. The first printing was sold out because of uh, the advertising, you know, the mm. interview he did. The Mankiewicz thing with me on CBS Sunday morning. He just sold out. Oh. And they had to make a whole other 2,000, 2,200 uh, print of it, you know. All right. Because, well, you know, in Bancroft, I don't want the world to forget my wife. Uh, mm. You know, not because she was my wife, but because she was so extremely, insanely gifted and talented, and, mm. and her, her performances and the Miracle Worker and and stuff like the Pumpkin Eater that Jack Clayton directed that she did in England with uh, Peter Finch and you know and James Mason. Nobody mm. ever heard of the Pumpkin Eater, and it's it's maybe one of the best things she ever did. So there it is. It's one of the movies in the box set. You know. Mm. Watching so, your movies, I can, you know, I Anne obviously is one of the most brilliant actresses ever, and you're an incredible director. And she loved and your father, i got to oh. tell you that. Oh. She, she would double over Kenny Mars. Mm. She'd grab her belly, literally. <laughs> she'd grab her belly. You know. Was, she, you know, really, she thought he was one of the funniest people that ever lived. Mm. Well, she kept saying, he's so real, he's so authentic, you know. That's the thing I'm that's so fascinating when I watch your films because you're known to be such an incredible comedian, which you are. But they're so bed, the bedrock of them are are real human pathos and these incredible stories that just it's a bedrock of authenticity that just makes them even more hilarious because of the the beautiful yeah. yearning you get to observe and you know experience in the movies. Yeah, I missed. You know, uh, when I, I when I did the producers, mm. uh, when we broke for lunch, uh, I wouldn't go to my trailer or my dressing room. I wouldn't go. I would just want. I got everybody together, Kenny and and and, and Gene and and Z Zero and 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 uh, Lee Barrett and Ula and everything, and we'd all have lunch together. 
because hmm. we enjoyed we actually enjoyed each other's company. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, not everybody, not everybody making movies can say that. Not everybody on the set yeah. is also happy to be together. They they often wait for lunch to get away. Mm. You know, I but remember not in my case. Yeah. I remember watching you and watching my dad try to make you laugh. It was so joyful for me to watch the way you two would go back and forth. He had an incredible... I don't know if it was... But it was the most real German crazy drug. Mm. I mean, he transformed himself. Kenny was a bit of a magician. Mm. He he could talk like a regular person from like from Chicago, and just have a conversation. But the minute he was Franz Liebkind, he was like was like transformed. Suddenly there was like a blue flash over him, and and he emerged as Franz Liebkind, hmm. this amazing Nazi hmm. who really from deep in his heart, loved Hitler and believed him. I mean, it was just, uh, they talk about a great bounce, a big bounce that was getting Kenny was, and I got to tell you, your dad was literally one in a million. Well, I think that love that you have for the what you write and the stories you tell, when you hit the right casting, as you said, which you did time and time again, that love is totally palpable on screen. Yeah, well, you know, you got to get lucky to find these people living. You got to be lucky to be born at the same time that these people are born. You find them in the world mm. and you put them in your movies, mm. and then suddenly your movies are transformed and they leave. They leave the ground. They take off because of it. And I think it's like I said, uh, casting is. Half of just casting, getting the right people to play the parts, it's half of the movie. It's half, mm-hmm. at least half. Of course, you need, a, you know, you need a great script. That's the other part. Mm-hmm. You need a really good story. Then you need uh, the right cameraman, and you need the right sound man, and you need the right costume designer, and you need the right set designer. You need all these things. But all of these things that I just talked about are only half. The real joy and talent that comes from the casting, hmm. and I, like I said, the, the the less you have to direct and give them instructions, they know it. I mean, you cast the right people in the part. I never had to say anything to Kenny, but uh, you know, he would he would often say to me, "I'd say, cut, print." He'd say, "Can I do it again?" Hmm. Oh, it was, was his happy every place. Time. Yeah, that was his where he yeah. wanted to be, making you again? laugh. Said, yeah, do it again. And sometimes he did it again and did it even better. It's hard to believe. Because hmm. I said, you, I said, Kenny, you can't beat it. You've done it. You've perfected it. You nailed it. You can't do better than that. Hmm. He said, Well, let me try once more. I have another idea. And boom, he would try. And sometimes he really, actually, outdid it. Oh. Well, you Amazing. started on the show of shows. Which is, I mean, my dad, we watched those together, and Imogene Coca and Sid Caesar, and I mean, you've worked with the greats of all time, and uh, I, I, that yeah, looked like Yeah, you know, I would have been a comic by 
Susanna, I would have been a comic myself years earlier, five mm-hmm. years earlier, if it wasn't for the genius of Sid Caesar. Mm-hmm. I was so happy to write for that genius and not, not perform. Mm-hmm. When, after he was no longer performing, that's when I emerged as a performer. But until then, uh, <clears throat> he carried the flag. He was the best. He was the most uh, inspired and talented comedian in the world. Yeah. I mean, watching that with my dad was just a kick. Um, in fact, it was funny. I got my first commercial when I was a kid, and Howard Morris directed it. You're kidding, really? Mm, yeah. what, what was the commercial? What was it? It was Dial Soap. What was it about? A soap. Well, I was in a shower all day. Ah. Uh, oh, my God. Isn't that funny? Because my wow. dad brought me to the set, and imagine what when he saw Howard Morris was directing, he just about flipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Howie. Howie was a dear friend. Oh my God, Uncle Goopy! We'll never, never forget Uncle Goopy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what? just the best. That's, that's the greatest sketch ever done on television. It is. Oh God, did we enjoy that? I cannot even imagine we what that was Gold like. Reiner trying to peel, trying to peel Howie Morris off Sid Caesar's leg. Yes, we carried around. You know. <laughs> My, uh, my dad used to give us this right ride when we were kids. He called it the Ratatata, and we would sit on his feet like that, like Uncle Goopy, and hang on to his leg, and he'd try to shake us off. Oh, how great. Mm-hmm. How great. God bless him. Yeah. And I yeah, remember... I miss him. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I remember... Uh, yeah, too bad he Dad was talking about it. The uh, there was another fabulous. It might have been the same sketch, but it was when Imogene Coca had the popcorn in her hand, and she tossed oh, it as they were. He was getting into the theater seat, and I remember Dad would oh, just yeah. say, "Now look at the arc of that popcorn. Look at the arc of the popcorn. How did she do that?" <laughs> he just watched it over and over. He was a perfectionist, so I'm sure. He, I'm sure. Very few people saw the arc of the popcorn the way Kenny Mars did. You know, yeah. He was just a bit of a genius. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, how are you passing? You enjoy the- doing these pod- the podcasts of fun? You know, they really are. Um, it, it's... I really enjoy talking to people about what they're doing with their work and how they go about doing their work. And, um, and it's fun to share the stories. And especially now, it feels like people are really in need of passing time and, you know, being inspired. And it's, you know, so inspiring to you watch know, your you work. You know, you never know. I never know what I was going to tell you or say to you. Mm-hmm. It's, so when you do your podcast, the people you talk to, they never know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. It all comes out. It just all, it all flows. It all just bursts forth, you yeah. know, comes out. Yeah. And it's, it's all real. Podcasts are all, they're nice, they're real. I, yeah. I did, did, with, with uh, you know, with the Alan Alder one, you know, he was, we used to play tennis up at uh, Julianne Griffin, Merv Griffin's ex-wife, mm. up, uh, you know, Mulholland, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Alan, who had polio as a child. Oh, I didn't know that. Alan Alder had polio as a, yeah, as a mm-hmm. child, he had mm-hmm. polio, and he needed, you know, you know, all that treatment. Kennedy, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, saved his life. Mm. And he uh, he was also my partner, and, you know, my tennis partner. And he could run, 
run like the wind. It was wonderful, you know. And his dad was a song and dance man. Oh yeah, Robert Robert Oak was the was the the leading the leading man on Broadway when he was doing Guys and Dolls at the Forty Sixth Street Theater. They're uh, renamed now, but that was uh, that was uh, you know Alan Alda's dad, you know Robert Robert Oak. Mm. Are you still so playing? The, you're still playing the piano. I play the piano a little, yeah. Yeah. At night, yeah, at night, you know, after dinner sometimes. Do you get to talk to your grandkids a bit? I do all the time. Oh, good. I have a granddaughter in New York, and I have a grandson here mm-hmm. in California. Yeah, that's one of the things that's the pits about losing my dad so young, and you know, he adored my daughters, oh, yeah. and we had so much fun together, you know. Oh yeah, well he was he was a he, you know he was a terrific guy, fun guy. I mean, mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a, that's a, that's a person like that. Yeah, he loved doing fun things. Anyway, he loved painting. You're, you're, you're having fun with these uh, podcasts. I'm so yeah, happy. I'm having a really good time with them, and I, I'm supposed to do Sweeney Todd in Canada in the fall, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen now. So everyone's just kind of waiting. Every job is you know kind of a waiting game. Uh huh. Well, you'll you know. We all have to sweat it out. You know, yep. I'm supposed to get Young Frankenstein, the musical, the one we did at the Garrick Theater, and mm-hmm. one we did. The, supposed to get that done on ABC, and they said we'll do it when we can do it. You know, mm-hmm. because you can't get a chorus. You're not allowed to have a chorus together, right. singing and dancing. You're not allowed to have an audience watching the show. So. Mm-hmm. Till we can get an audience and a chorus and, you know, hmm. <clears throat> a couple of people working together, we're going to have to just be uh, patient, sweat it out. Right. They'll do it. I know they'll do it. Have you been watching any movies at home? Yeah, well, you know, on, on television, of course. Mm-hmm. You know. Anything favorite that I you'd recommend? New, uh, I know City of Angels with uh, Nathan Lane is, oh. who worked for me, you know, mm-hmm. worked with me. Great guy. He's in the City of Angels. He's a detective, and he's it's in the fifties, and he's wonderful. Mm. It's it's a Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I I would highly recommend it. It's just well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially Nathan, whom I'm so proud of. You know. Oh yeah. A lot of a lot of good stuff. Yeah. A lot of good stuff around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know I, I'm I'm. I've talked enough. Oh, God. <laughs> Mel, I... I, I've I talked enough. I could go on all day, you know. You are so you know, and, generous. And I have an inspired act, actor who, who helped make your career. Oh. It's like uh, Kenny. It's not hard. Well, your your generosity is legion. Ever since I was a little girl and you told me to call you Uncle Mel and you made me feel like I was one of the family, um, you just continue to amaze me with your generosity. Mm-hmm. And Susanna, you brought back so many sweet memories when you said uh, Gino Cantamesa, you know. Because mm. I just, I could, right back to the set, I could see everybody and yeah. hear everybody. Amazing. Yeah, right it, it was, and I'm anyway, just grateful, grateful. And uh, any chance I could get you to sing a little song before you leave? Like just any song that you like? Oh, I can't. I oh, really, dang it. No. Just was thinking. All right, let me try one. Okay. For you. Hang on. All right. Um... Okay, it's a perfect little Cole Porter song. Oh, my favorite. Uh, Okay, let me try. It's a perfect little song. It's like a poem set to music. That's how good Cole Cole Porter's 
stuff was, but this is one I, I uh, enjoy. So let me see if I can sing it. I've got my eyes on you, so best beware where you roam. I've got my eyes on you, so don't stray too far from home. Incidentally, I've set my spies on you. They're watching all you do from A to Z. I've got my eyes on you, so keep your eyes on me. That's a perfect little Gold Porter song. Oh, perfectly sung. I just love you with all my heart. Thank you for Everything you've done, you you continue to do. Everyone loves you. When they heard I was talking to you, it nearly started a firestorm. I don't know if we have to clear that song, but it's okay. (laughs) Just so much love to you and uh, love to Kevin. Thanks so much for paving the way for me to get a chance to talk to Uncle Mel. What a pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, Susanna, my pleasure. I love you. Take care. I love you too. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Adventures in Artslandia We've shared our points of view This is David Safford playing...